the message that I believe God laid on my heart that would lead us uh, into the time of prayer. But also, it's an important message because it's the first message of a new year. And so, I'm going to take us straight to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Uh, he, he, he says here to them, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love gardening. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm not ashamed. My kids tell me it's because I'm getting old. I enjoy going to garden centers. I enjoy buying things and plants and all that sort of thing. And I know it's freaking out some of you young people. You're thinking, I could never do that. I would never want to do that. <laughs> or just just give, just give a little bit of time. The passing of time will prove itself. But I love gardening. And, and of course, God is introduced to us here in this chapter as a gardener. In fact, he's not just a gardener. He's the gardener. A gardener cultivates their environment. In other words, they don't just accept the environment for what it is. The environment will do what it will do. I mean, ground will produce things. If you, if you leave a garden, it doesn't stay as it is. It grows. It produces weeds. There's, there's, there's seeds in the ground that will germinate and, and, and grow because that is the nature of the environment. But a gardener's job is to tame that environment, to not let the environment dictate because the gardener has a vision. He has a plan and he wants to force that plan on the environment. And he's got some tools up his sleeve. He has a vision. He knows that if he puts certain nutrients, certain fertilizers in the soil, then he can create an environment where things will flourish where they would not ordinarily flourish. And God is using this metaphor, this picture language, to, to show us kind of what he does in and through our lives. We are like that garden that he has got a vision for. Uh, the soil of our life may resist, may be stony, may be difficult, but, but God is able to create an environment in which things can be fruitful and things can 
flourish. It might take a little time, but with a little care, some work, change is absolutely possible. The gardener can call some things out of the environment that the environment cannot call out of itself. I, I'm just thrilled that I serve a God who is able to call things out of me that I'm not able to call out of myself. He is able to look at the soil of my life and say, I know that something can blossom there. I might look and say, no way. There's no way that can happen. There's no way that that can grow there. There's, there's no way that that, 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 that uh, kind of level of fruit can be, re, be produced. But God looks and sees something different. And he's able to put in place the things in my life that will produce the fruit and beauty and things that will flourish. As you read about the gardener and you read about what he does, there is a question that springs to mind, uh, for me at least, and that is, will you trust the gardener? I know it seems like an unusual question because the thing is this, when if a gardener is coming and he's planting seeds and, and he's, he's planting, uh, you know, plants and, and putting things in, adding to, then that is a great thing. That's an exciting thing. It builds anticipation. We can see change. We can see the, the purpose of what is going on. And it's easy to trust God during a season of planting. It's easy to trust God during a season of sowing, during a season of addition and multiplication. But John points us to another season of the garden. He points us to a season where things are not being added, but things are being taken away. And that's when you must trust the motive of the gardener. Because he talks about the reality that some things need to be cut away and that some things need to be pruned. Now, I know that from a distance and possibly to the untrained eye, cutting and pruning look exactly the same thing. But they are very different things because the vision of the gardener, the heart of the gardener will approach those things in completely different ways. John relays Jesus' words in saying that God cuts away the branches that bear no fruit. Those branches may have borne fruit at one time. They may have produced some good stuff. But Jesus is actually saying to us, you know what? There are some things in your life that no longer bear fruit and they need to go. That tells us two things. It tells us that, hey, there are some things that God will cut away from our lives. No matter how useful, no matter how amazing they have once been, God will cut those things away. But it also tells us something else. It, it shows us the nature of God, the nature of the Father, that God expects fruit. He expects fruit. In fact, He doesn't just expect fruit. He expects much fruit. And he goes on to say that, that in expecting much fruit, by producing that fruit, we glorify God and we show ourselves to be his disciples. 
You see, we, we've got to remember that I'm not a Christian just because I tell you a Christian. I'm a Christian. That, that I'm a Christian because there is fruit in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus because the, the, the fruit of my life declares that I am a follower of Jesus. The apple tree does not need to tell you it's an apple tree because it produces apples. The apples show you the nature, shows you, uh, uh, speaks out um, what, what the nature of the tree is. It's the fruit that gives it its name. It's the fruit of our lives that give, gives us our name. So by bearing fruit, which God expects, we glorify God. And we show ourselves to be his disciples. But then it goes on to say that, that God also prunes. That looks like cutting away, but it's a different thing. This is a whole new ball game because Jesus is saying that there are branches that bear fruit that are pruned. Now, we might get and understand why the bare branch gets cut away because that's bare. It's past its usefulness. But when God starts messing with the areas of our lives that bear fruit, hey, God, what are you doing? Why, why are we messing with that? You know, that is bearing fruit. Look, the, there is evidence. There is evidence that there's life there. There's evidence that there is fruitfulness there. God, why are you cutting away things that are so obviously bearing fruit? fruit. Well, God prunes because he expects more. He expects more. When the thing that lacks comfort when we're pruned is that at one level, something that is fruitful is being removed. It, it causes us to, to look less. It causes us to feel less. That's when we have to trust the nature of the gardener, the motive of the gardener. Many years ago, while my mother-in-law was out, my father-in-law, who used to enjoy being in the garden, decided he was going to prune the pear tree, the beloved pear tree in the back garden. My mother-in-law loved this pear tree, and my father-in-law decided it needed a good prune, and he gave it a good prune. And when my mother-in-law returned from where she had been, she did not share his joy or his vision. And in fact, she nearly killed him for what he had done to her beloved pear tree. Now, hey, listen, you can understand in one way because that tree with all its shape and its beauty had been cut back. You see this stumpy thing in the back garden. That's when you've got to trust that the gardener knows what he's doing. Because what I'm seeing right now does not look great. I remember that tree, and I remember it bearing fruit, and now it's cut back to that stump. It's not looking very good right now. Can it ever recover? But of course the gardener knows. Because the motive of the gardener is that that thing will become even more fruitful. The only reason God prunes fruitful branches is so that they will be even more fruitful. God is, God is prepared to prune God good because he knows that there is phenomenal. 
He will prepare good because he knows that he can have phenomenal. See, the gardener understands the seasons. You've got, to, you've got to be able to understand seasons. In fact, I think that if you're going to fully understand what life is about, you've got to understand that life has seasons. It's not summer all the time, and it's not winter all the time. There are seasons that come and go, and they are essential in the circle of life. My favorite season, without doubt, is Spring. I love spring. I'm that sad person who's waiting for December 21st when the winter equinox is. And and then I know that from that point, no longer are the nights getting darker, but they're starting to get lighter from that point. That means that the warmer weather is on the way. I absolutely love it. I love it when the, the blossom appears on the trees and that blossom declares that winter is over and warmer times are on the way. I know that things have got a little bit messed up in the mild winter that we've had and we've got daffodils growing and some early blossom but usually that blossom declares the end of winter and the beginning of a different day and I love that I love the flowers I love the beauty of what spring brings but you have to understand no matter how beautiful the blossom is that blossom will have to fall in order to make way for the fruit to come. We've got to let go of the blossom in order to see the fruit come. We've got to let go of what is beautiful and impressive today to make room for the fruitfulness of tomorrow. And some of us, we, we, we hold on to things because we hold on to a season where things look beautiful and pretty and they seem so nice. And we fail to understand that it is just part of the seasons of God. And, and we, 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 we weep when the blossom falls. We, we weep when we see the beauty fading of what was. But the reality is that, that, that God is on for something better. He's on, we're on the way to something more fruitful. As I, as I look out my um, uh, window and I see the bare branches, uh, you know, like to the human eye, it lo- doesn't look like much is going on, but just beneath the surface, life is waiting to burst through. There are whole processes going on underneath the surface, beyond my ability to see. God is on with something behind the scenes. I'm talking to someone here tonight. God is on with something behind the scenes. You look out of your window at the stuff. You see the bare branches. You see things that you, 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 you are expecting to see things blossom and bud right now. But they aren't. it's not happening in the time and the speed and the season that you thought. But you need to know God is on with something behind the scenes and though you can't see it you need to be confident God will do it God will bring it to pass and then Jesus reminds us that if we are going to see any fruit at all the root to that fruit is to remain in him he says remain in me as I also remain in you. No 
branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, basically, Jesus is just saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. Because he, he is wanting these men to understand that without him, you can do nothing. Maybe Jesus is having to say some things over and over because there is that temptation in human nature, particularly in our seasons where we feel strong, that we can do it on our own. And we waste a heap of time and we go down cul-de-sacs because we feel strong and pumped up and, and good to go. We, 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 we forget that the only way I can see fruit in my life is that I remain in the vine. That he remains in me. That his words remain in me. Because there we have in verse 5, it says, if you remain in me. That, that is the point. We have a choice. We can try and do it on our own or we can make a decision to remain in God. See, we get to choose. And I love, I love actually how the King James Version puts this. It says, abide in me. Abide in me. To tarry. To wait to be present. You see, when you abide, it's not, it's not rushed. It's not something that's just squeezed in. It, 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 it speaks of time, spending time, spending time in his presence. When you abide with people, you get to know people. There are some things that it just takes time. I don't know whether any of you have ever had a friend and uh, you know what? You think, hey, we're really good friends. I really like you. I really like your company. We have a good laugh together. I know. Why don't we go on holiday together? Wow. Well, you know what? I agree. We are amazing friends. Let's go on holiday together. It's going to be so much fun. And then you get on holiday with these people. And things turn out not quite as you expected because when you abide with people, you discover things that you didn't know were there. Because there are some things that you don't know over a quick lunch, over a quick dinner, over a quick coffee, when you're, when you're laughing and high-fiving each other and everything is wonderful. That is absolutely amazing. But when you abide with one another, you learn some things. That, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how comfortable I am. With that, there are some great friendships that have been ruined by holidays. But anyway, that's another thing. That there are there are some people who I can spend time with, and they call out a better version of me. They 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 make me want to be better. They make me they make me want to reach for more. There are some people, of course, who bring out a worse version of me. There are some people who, you know, I don't know, they, 
just by being with them, you find yourself joking in a certain way. You find yourself saying some, some things that you didn't, you didn't want to say. And you actually walk away from that feeling not quite so good about yourself because some things have been called out of you. That, mm, I'm, not, I'm not keen on that. I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers anywhere. I'm just saying that that can happen. I want you to know that your best friend is not the person you've known the longest. Your best friend is the one who calls the best out of you. Who calls out the best version of you. There's a, a, a story that I've known for a long time about two British uh, prime ministers who were political opponents of uh, Disraeli and Gladstone. And legend would have it that these two men had uh, dinner with the same woman on different nights, one night after the other. And because these were such great political figures, someone asked the woman uh, what were the comparisons between Gladstone and Disraeli. And this woman said, well, when I had dinner with Gladstone, I left feeling that he was the cleverest man in England. But when I had dinner with Disraeli, I left feeling that I was the cleverest woman in England. You see, there are some situations, this certain company that calls out the best you. Let me tell you something. When you spend time with God, when you abide, abide, in his presence, he always calls out the best version of you. But we have to abide in his presence. Jesus also tells us that not only do we abide in his presence, his presence abides in us, but we are to let his words abide in us. That's because the Word of God has the power to rewire my brain. The words that God speaks have the power to intercept the words that I speak to me. It is, it is they have the power to, 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 to break the power of confessions that I have over myself. And they have the power to help me think in the right way and to speak in the right way and to live in the right way. When his words abide in me, then, then those words become my words. And when I proclaim his words, I'm proclaiming his will. And when I proclaim his will, I will see those prayers come to pass. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way, and I love it in the Amplified Version. It's, it talks about rolling your works upon the Lord. Rolling your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. And he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. You see, it's not about me getting 
I'm getting out and praying to God about making my plans succeed. It's about me aligning myself with God's plan. It's about me aligning myself with His desires. When I start praying His desires, when I start confessing His desires, those prayers are going to get answered. When I abide in His presence and He and His words abide in me, He cultivates me. He cultivates this rocky, stubborn, resistant soil. And He enables it to become ground in which seeds can germinate and grow and something of great beauty and fruitfulness can flourish. And that's why we gather to pray at the beginning of a new year. Lawrence is absolutely right when he tells you that I hate everything to do with religion because what that means is religion is about man through his efforts trying to attain God. And, and, and God has done it all. It's not about me trying to get to God. God has done everything in getting to me, and he's done that through Jesus and through the cross. And, and when we gather to pray, it's an opportunity to meet with God in the place of prayer. Remain in me as I also remain in you. I don't know about you, but I just know that you've got to sometimes set aside a little time because I know what it is to intend to pray. You know, I, 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 I was intending to pray. And sometimes we can judge ourselves by our intentions, but we never actually prayed because this came up and so-and-so rang and, and that happened and I was going to and then I nearly did. And, and, and before you know it, you've got through the old end. You never actually got to do it. But you say, okay, God, hallelujah, you understand. You know, you know I've had a busy day. Well, he knows you've had a busy day, but he also knows you've not prayed. And the big loser in that is me. The big loser in that is you. So we take opportunity to pray firstly. Secondly, fasting helps us focus. Fasting opens the door to a more intimate, more powerful relationship with God. As I suppress the flesh, I, I am sensitized to the Spirit. It is an opportunity that as I experience some physical hunger, that it will point me to a spiritual hunger as I hunger and thirst after the living God. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not even saying that it's all pleasurable. I don't find it all that pleasurable. But for me, it's worth it because of what I get. I get Him. I get time with Him. I get to... I get to speak to him. I get something more deeper and, and more, more beautiful. Fasting helps me determine the difference between that which I want and that which I need. How many of you know there is a world of difference between that which you want and that which we need? So starting tomorrow, we're going to have three days of prayer with fasting and all I would say is you get on board in the way you can get on board. Maybe you can manage the three days. Maybe that just freaks you out. You can't even think about that. But maybe you could manage two or one day. Or maybe you could manage a meal over each of the three days. I, I don't know. But don't, don't do nothing. 
I understand that some people have some physical limitations and, and maybe you're on medication or whatever and that makes fasting from food difficult, but you can get on board by fasting from social media or TV or something that you would normally do. In other words, you stop doing something in order to make room for prayer. You stop doing something in order to make room to focus on God and to abide in His presence. And if you're not sure whether you're physically able to uh, fast, then you can consult with your GP. But I'll be honest with you, like the majority of us can fast for a day or a couple of days and providing we're drinking plenty of water, we will not die. You will not die. You will live and declare the good things of God. I mean, yeah, I mean really, seriously, you won't die. But, and, and in fact, you do your body a whole lot of good by recalibrating from maybe some of the celebrations and excesses of Christmas. That is real talk right there. But as we fast and pray, God will cause our thoughts and our words to be aligned to His will. In fact, if you guys could just uh, slip up that slide for me, Estelle, that would be amazing. This just gives us an idea of the times of gathered prayer. So like on Monday, tomorrow, we're going to meet from 7 till 8. Maybe you can manage before you go to work, uh, and then we've got a time from 6 till 7. Maybe you can manage uh, on the way home from work. But, you know, like if you can make it amazing, if you can't for all kinds of reasons, hey, listen, we get that, but make some time to pray. I mean, we'd love it if you could come and gather with us at those times, but if you can't, make some time to pray. Tuesday, we want to give as much freedom for you to pray with your, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with, uh, with friends, and, and just make time to do something in that time. And then on Wednesday, we're going to pray from uh, 7 till 8 again in the morning, from 12 till 1, and from 6 till 8. The, these, the doors will be open. On, on that final session, we're going to finish with a real praise party. We're going to have the worship team here, and we're going to just um, have a real uh, praise as we bring our fast to an end. But that's a phenomenal way, I think, to begin a new year and to align our lives with the purposes of God. Thirdly, we need to know that God hears us. The psalmist says this, Psalm 116, he says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. God hears our voice. When we come to pray, we need to come with a confidence that it isn't dependent on the way that I feel. I know what it is to pray. I know what it is to pray and feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or bouncing off the walls. I know what it is to feel nothing, but thankfully, God is not restricted by what I feel. There have been many times when I've really sensed the presence of God. And it's amazing and it's wonderful. And I wish that every prayer time was like that, but it's not. And there are some times you've just got to continue in faith. Not rely on what you're feeling, but just know that He is faithful. And He has promised that where two or three are gathered in His name, there will He be in the midst. That God hears our voice. What, the, 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 that scripture in John, John 5 that says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
God's word is inclined towards us. And as I abide in him, and as I let his words abide in me, then I will speak his will. And I pray with confidence that God hears me and he will answer me. Fourthly, not only do we need to know that God hears us, but we need to hear God. I don't know about you, but I've got some stuff that I need to work through. I've got some things that I'm believing for this year. I need to hear God's voice. I need some direction. I need some understanding. I need some peace. Because, because there's some stuff that I've got some ideas about, but I'm not absolutely sure about. And I need some words from God. I need God to speak into my heart. And God will do that. Hebrews 11 says this, that uh, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. Noah got a word from God. It was not based on what he saw. It was not based on what he'd experienced. But he had the wisdom to act on what God had told him to do. It, in human terms, was ridiculous to build a ship on dry ground. You don't do that. But of course, he trusted the one who spoke to him. And he acted on what he heard. And not only was he saved, but his whole family was saved. Because he heard God and he obeyed God. In Luke 11, it says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to obey his word. As we abide in him, we fuel faith and not fear. You know, the thing is this, we don't want to ever be the kind of people who just simply pray out our fears. We pray out the things that are not happening. This is, this is not our opportunity to pray out all the things that we are challenged with and find difficult. I'm not difficulty with. I'm not saying it's wrong to confess our fears to God. I believe that God will hear us. But God does not want us to live fearful or to stay fearful. He has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given us a spirit of timidity. God wants us to walk in faith. When I walk in fear, it affects my perspective. It affects my prayers. It's, it's, it's like the, the spies who went to spy out the promised land and they came back with this report that we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we seemed the same to him. Fear messed with their mind. It mess, messed with their perspective and they felt like grasshoppers and they felt that that is way they were viewed if you compare that with Nehemiah who faced all kinds of problems and frustrations and difficulties but but his confession was remember the Lord who is great and awesome I know this isn't working I know we've got that problem I know we've got that situation but remember the Lord who is great and awesome and he acted 
on that word. He, he found himself being filled with faith and confidence in the God he served. God does not want us walking around with a grasshopper mentality. He does not want us walking around believing that that is how we seem to the world. God wants us to know that we are sons and we can walk with a confidence that God is with us and God is for us. When we, when we abide in him, we fuel our faith and not our fear. And when we fuel our faith sixthly, we find confidence to act. When we remember what God has done, we have the confidence to do something. God wants us to do something. It's not just about living a nice little life, just going through the motions of, of Christianity, just going through the motions of doing church, just going through the motions of being church and just getting on with our life. And I just, I just believe that God does not want us to live an unremarkable life. I believe that God wants us to live a remarkable life. He wants us to be people who bear fruit. He wants us to be people who have confidence to act on the word that we've heard and with faith rise up and influence our environment. And seventhly, we need to fight. I know that's not all fluffy and it's not all sweet and it's not all nice because there comes a point when we've got to realize that as Men and women of God, mature men and women of God, there's some stuff that we need to fight for. Nehemiah realized he had a vision from God. He had seen God provide. He had seen God make a way. He had seen breakthrough. But he still understood that he needed to fight. He needed to fight for the families, fight for the sons and daughters, fight for our homes, fight for our marriages, fight for our future. Because we have an enemy who is seeking to resist us, who is seeking to hinder the purposes of God in our lives. But the, the power of prayer is able to break every chain that the enemy would try and put on us. The, the power of prayer is the key to open every prison door and remove every fence of restriction in our life. God is the one who sets us free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. My God is able to make a way even where there is no way. We've sung it tonight that he splits the seas so that I can walk right through it. I'm not going to stand on the shoreline fearful and afraid with the thunder of the hooves of the Egyptian army in the distance saying, oh God, what are we going to do? Allowing panic to rise in my heart because my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than I can ask or even imagine. And God will speak to us as he spoke to Moses and say, what is in your hand? And re Moses raised the staff that was in his hand and those waters divided. You have no idea what God is able to do in your life. You have no idea what God is able to do with your finances. You have no idea what God is able to do with that situation. He can make a way right through it. But we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight for the future. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your son is worth fighting for. Your daughter is worth fighting for. That, that situation at work is worth 
fighting for, that issue, that problem that you've been battling with. It's worth fighting to receive the breakthrough that you believe is possible. What God wants to do in us, what God wants to do through us, as a house is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for because there are people out there, thousands of people who don't know Jesus Christ, who are in pain. Who are fighting themselves and fighting life and they need to know that there is a God who loves them. I, that guy who came to speak, to speak to me this morning, I don't know him, it was his first time in church and he just wanted to say, literally with tears in his eyes, he said, it's the first time I've been here. But there's something special here. I'm going to come back. My God, how many of them, how many people out there just need an opportunity to abide in the presence of God? Obviously, the, the message that I preach today is the message that Jesus preached to his disciples all those years ago. I can only hope to come up with a, a mere shadow of the, the message that he preached. But he was preaching to his disciples. He was preaching to a group of people who he was trying to work on their mind. He was trying to rewire their mind because he was wanting to understand that they could change the world. But that if they were going to change the world, connection is crucial you've got to abide if you even are going to hope to be fruitful if you're going to even hope to change the world or even just change your world you've got to abide in his presence connection with God connection with each other and that's what these next few days are about it's about being connected, about being in the vine, about abiding, abiding, abiding in the presence of God, hearing His voice, finding confidence in His presence to fight for the future, a great future, a beautiful future, a powerful future. The future God has planned in the name of Jesus. Amen.